Welcome to the Weird Christmas Podcast. I'm Craig Kringle. Surprise! It's an August episode, but you know, this is a bit of a tease. I'm not going to lie. Or you can think of it as a bonus. Yeah, that's much better. I mean, you weren't expecting anything from me in August. When the icon showed up on your podcast list, you maybe even thought it was a mistake, but nope, it's real. Very, very real. I'm going to share a bit of Christmas love with you this summer because I have a short chat with someone who thinks we should probably have Christmas in the spring or summer rather than winter. He's Professor Colin Humphreys, an award-winning physicist at Cambridge. He's also a knight, although I never got to call him Sir Colin, which which would have been awesome. So he's not some crank with a conspiracy theory, although, you know, I'm not above talking to those folk too. But more about that in just a second. But I'm calling this a tease because I'm going to start trying something new. Monthly podcasts throughout the year, and that's awesome, right? Well, it's double awesome for me because I'm also starting a Patreon page. Okay, before you groan too loudly, hear me out. If you haven't heard of Patreon, it's one of those things where you offer a small monthly amount, like two bucks, and you get access to extra content from people like me all year. So what I'm going to do is start a monthly podcast on Patreon. I'll also send out actual physical cards, give you a set of weird-ass Christmas cards come winter, all kinds of other goodies. The regular shows in December will all still be beautifully, beautifully free. But I want to give this extra stuff a shot. The costs of this little hobby are kind of starting to add up, and this way I can guarantee a little extra something for you if you want to give a little bit. Plus, the guilt will just keep me making shows. Right now, the August show on there has a longer version of my talk with Professor Humphreys, as, as well as about 45 minutes of more stuff, where I hunt down people associated with some of the strangest holidays you've probably never heard of. National Mustard Day, Duran Duran Appreciation Day, which is oddly bigger than you might think, and Bad Poetry Day. Patreon dot com slash weird Christmas. Check it out if you're interested. But in the meantime, here's a bit of Christmas in the summer. I hope you enjoy it. The December 25th date of Christmas, which is a traditional date, that's quite a late tradition. Um, the first record we have of that is AD 336, you know, so that's sort of over 300 years after the events there were. And what seems to have happened is that uh, there was a Roman pagan feast called the Feast of the Sol Invictus, which is Latin for the Invincible Sun, held on December the 25th. And they held this every year. And they held this because um, the shortest day is on December 21 or 22. And what people believed at the time was, you know, the sun was getting weaker as winter approached, and the days got shorter and shorter, the days of sunlight got shorter and shorter. And so they thought the sun was sort of dying. And then... Um, and then it was a sort of reborn after that because the days started to get longer. And they just waited a few years after the shortest day to make absolutely sure the day was lengthening. And then they celebrated the sun being reborn. And they called it the Feast of the Invincible Sun. And what seems to have happened is that Christians, some you know bright Christian had a look at this and thought, gosh, let's take this over because this is a wonderful sort of feast to celebrate the birth of our invincible sun, you know, spelled S-O-N, not S-U-N. And so they took this over and said, let's call December the 25th Christmas. 
And so that's a tradition which has stuck right to the present day. So mm-hmm. that, that seems to be the origin of December 25. So it's not actually based on any... On, on the real date of the birth of Jesus. You obviously have done some different research to try to figure out when Jesus's, where it's more likely that his actual birth date was. And you've done a mix of historical research, both with the Bible, but also with, if I'm right, it's Chinese uh, cosmological records. Is that right? Yes, so that's right. So, so I started with the Bible and Matthew's Gospel. Mm-hmm. And um, in chapter two of Matthew's Gospel, it describes the birth of Jesus. And, you know, one question is, is Matthew trying to be historical? But Matthew says where he's born, in, in Bethlehem, and then he says in Bethlehem in Judea, because there was another Bethlehem further north. So he's specifying the place he was born, and such a place exists. And then he says he was born when King Herod was king, and we know King Herod was a real king and existed, and um, so around the birth of Christ. So um, Matthew is trying to be historical. And then he gives this account of the Magi, and we know that there were these wise men, they were astronomers and astrologers. Um, and um, astrology wasn't distinguished between astronomy at that time. And th- these people observed the stars and they would deduce what was going to happen on Earth. Because uh, if we go back 2,000 years, people thought events in the sky related to events on Earth. It was all connected. And so um, Matthew's Gospel said that they saw a very special star and um, uh, various astronomical events convinced them that this meant that a new king of the Jews was going to be born. And there are three characteristics of this star, which you can deduce from Matthew's Gospel. One is that um, they traveled to Jerusalem, and Herod interviewed them. And Herod, the first question he asked was, what was the exact time this star appeared? And they told him. And so we know that this is a newly appeared star. It was an unusual star. Um, you know, before a certain time it wasn't there, and then after a time it was a newly impaired star and they saw it. Um, the second thing we can deduce from the story is that uh, they asked Herod, they expected that, that Jesus to be born in, in, in Jerusalem, you know, the, 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 the capital, and they asked Herod you know, where he was going to be born, and Herod asked his scholars, and these scholars said, in the Old Testament book of Micah, there's a prophecy that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And so they set off towards Bethlehem, and Bethlehem is due south of Jerusalem, and the, Herod, and the Matthew's Gospel says they saw the star ahead of them. Now, first of all, they'd seen the star in the east, this is what Matthew tells us, so this means this star had moved through the sky in a time it had taken for the Magi to make their journey. So originally, this was a star in the east, and then it appeared in the south. That's another clue to the star. It's a star which could travel through the night sky. And then the third clue of the star, which is really difficult to understand, is that the Magi saw the star standing over the place where the child was born. And so this could mean, you know, traveling towards Bethlehem, this could mean that they saw the star standing over Bethlehem or even pointing out a particular house in Bethlehem, which is really hard to understand. So we've got three characteristics of this star. One is it was a newly appeared star. The next one is it was a star which could travel through the night sky. And the third one is that the star could stand over Bethlehem. And there are lots of theories of the star of Bethlehem, but the only sort of star which can satisfy all the, these three conditions is a comet. And that's because a comet can be a star which has newly appeared. So, you know, you, new, new, new comets appear every so often, and people see them in the sky, so it's a newly appeared star. A comet also travels through the sky against a star background uh, at several, de- several degrees a, a day, typically. So that travels through the sky. And then the fingerprint is this curious...
clear statement in Matthew that the star stood over the place where the child was born. And one thing I did, I searched through ancient literature to see if there was any other reference to a star standing over a place, and I found two other references. And one was uh, a Roman historian called Dio Cassius, who talks about a star called Comet. So he identifies a comet. He says, a star called Comet stood over the city of Rome for several days. And then Josephus, a Jewish historian, talks about a star like a sword standing over Jerusalem. And comets can have very long tails. So it looks like, you know, a curved sword, a scimitar. Um, and so uh, when Josephus talks about a star like a sword, he's actually referring to a comet. So um, we have these two references of a comet standing over a place, as well as Matthew's reference to a star standing over a place. How can a comet stand over a place? Well, it has to be a long-tailed comet, which is very rare. And what happens is, if you think of uh, the head of the comet and then a tail pointing upwards and a bit curved as well, then this tail can appear to point the head of a comet towards a certain place. And we have photographs of this now with um, you know, more recent comets and woodcuts of people with, with uh, comets in, 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 say, 14th century and 15th century, where it actually is the head of the comet is actually pointing towards a place. And in a, a paper I published, I show a famous comet called Donatus Comet, which is actually standing over Paris and apparently pointing towards a particular building in Paris. So um, this star which stood over a place, it could only be a comet. So then the question is, are there any records of ancient comets around the time of the birth of Christ? And uh, the Chinese kept very careful records of comets because they thought, you know, they predicted events on Earth. And they record, um, well, let, let's say that the birth of Jesus, um, we know that Jesus must have existed sometime between 10 BC and 10 AD, the birth of Jesus. Um, and, and Herod, in fact, died in 4 BC. And so really Jesus, you know, was born before Herod died in 4 BC. Um, and if we look at comets in that 10-year period, there's only one comet, which the Chinese record as having a very long tail, and that was a comet, which they say appeared in a certain Chinese month, which was in the spring of 5 BC. It was actually a month which, uh, which spanned March and April in our calendar. So the Chinese record a comet in the spring of 5 BC with a very long tail. And what is unusual in the Chinese records, they just usually refer to comets and when they occur and when, when they were first seen. But this comet has a footnote, an astronomical footnote, which says that this comet is really important because of its long tail. And they actually say, the Chinese say, it signifies the sweeping away of evil and the birth of a new regime. You know, it's almost, it's prophetic, really, what the Chinese are saying. So this is really important to them, and this is what it meant to them. And um, so I think, you know, with some confidence, and it's the only comet in this time period, um, with some confidence, we can say, I believe, this is a star of Bethlehem. And it was seen in the spring, and uh, that, uh, that's corroborated by Luke's Gospel, who tells us that there were shepherds out in the field watching their flocks by night. And in Jerusalem, um, it's quite high up, and it actually snows over the winter months. I've been there, I've been there, and it's been snowing. Um, and we know from records going as far back as we can find, sheep were not kept out in the fields in the three winter months of December, uh, January, and February. They were kept indoors because of the snow in the fields, very, very cold, and they were, they were fed indoors. And um, so this had been going on for centuries. And so 
the shepherds would not have been out in the fields watching their flocks by night in, in December, but they would have been in the spring because the sheep was then lambing, producing lambs, and the wolves were around, and they'd be protecting, protecting their sheep uh, from wild animals. So, you know, the, the evidence in Luke's Gospel fits the evidence in Matthew, and I think everything points to Jesus being born in the spring of 5 BC. So, so I think it's a really uh, good theory which fits all the evidence. Well, I happen to agree. I've read many things about possible, you know, supernova or other things like that, and I still remember growing up hearing a number of people talking about how it could well have been like a supernova. But as soon as you pointed out that, yeah, the star has to move, that was the first thing that, yeah. that made sense that it would be a comet. So that's right. So I think a supernova is a very popular idea, but, it, but it, it's, it's stationary in the sky and it doesn't move. And there's no way a supernova can stand over a place either. Yeah. Um, and I noticed there is a book that's come out recently um, about it being a possible comet. You didn't write it, but I saw you did a blurb for it. Do you have any ideas or opinions about sort of some of the suggestions made in that one? Or or is he kind of just repeating what you've said? <laughs> okay, so yeah, this is a book, I think it's called The Great Christ Comet. Right. I think it's by someone called Colin Nichol, but I may have got that wrong. He uh, asked me to, to comment on the book, and I think, you know, he makes a really good case for the Star of Bethlehem being a comet. He then goes to the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, and makes some deduction from the book of Revelation, which I suspect is not correct, actually. I mean, I don't, you know, I, I think it probably isn't correct. Um, and he, from this, his deduction, he deduces that the birth of Jesus, I think, was in 1 BC or 2 BC. Mm -hmm. But you know, not in 5 BC, later than that. But then the weakness of his book is that he has scoured the Chinese records and other records, and there is no evidence for a long-tailed comet um, you know, in 1 or 2 BC. Mm -hmm. And so, having made the case for a really, uh, you know, it's a beautiful book, it has wonderful illustrations, um, made the case for a long-tailed comet being the Star of Bethlehem. Uh, at the end of the book, he says, uh, we must keep looking for the records because there's no record of such a comet. So he sort of says, you know, if we keep looking at the records, maybe some record will be found. So that's the weakness of the case, that there is no recorded long-tail comet for the time period he is suggesting. Gotcha. And I'm not sure why he doesn't like 5 BC. Gotcha. Um, so, so, you know, it's a really good book and it's fantastic the pictures, fantastic details about comets. Uh, but that's, it has this serious weakness. Well, do you happen to uh, celebrate Christmas in the spring now? <laughs> oh, very good question. <laughs> no, you know, we still celebrate Christmas uh, uh, in the traditional days. Uh, you know, it's a, because I think it's a nice occasion for for families to get together and to get together with friends. And uh, if you try and celebrate in the spring, you probably find that people are away on their Easter holidays or something. <laughs> so, so we still use a traditional day, but... Uh, but, but my family knows that I don't believe that's the date of the real Christmas. Do you feel like, I mean, do you have any personal feeling that we should change the date of Christmas? Or at this point, is it so traditional that it a bit of a fool's errand, it seems like, but but nonetheless? No, that's, that's a good question. Um, yes, so so in, in, a, in a sense, I think it would be really nice to change the date. I'll tell you one reason I hesitate, and that is... Uh, part of the story in Matthew is that there was no room in the inn, right? So, so, so when 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 uh, Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem, then uh, uh, they couldn't get you know decent accommodation, as it were, because it was all occupied. And and so um, Jesus was born in in this stable in, in a manger. Um, and you then have to ask the question, you know, why was why was no room in the inn? Something must have going on, must have been going on, right? And um, uh, 
One reason that uh, there wouldn't have been any room in accommodation in Bethlehem would have been if it was Passover time. Because at Passover time, people flocked to Jerusalem, and, uh, and we know from the Jewish historian Josephus that people had to live all around, right? So Bethlehem was just six miles from, from Jerusalem, and people would have been living there at Passover time. And um, the, uh, the dates that the, uh, that the Chinese astronomers say that this comet was first seen uh, corresponds to Passover time. Uh, in, in, in Jerusalem in that year. I, I forget the date now, some, some date in April anyway. And so um, I suspect that Jesus was probably born about Passover time. That's why there was no uh, room in the inn. Now, we already celebrate Easter at Passover time, right? So, so you know, the, the Jesus was crucified at Passover time. And we celebrate Easter Sunday and Good Friday. And so to bring Christmas into that celebration as well might just complicate things too much, even though I suspect that's historically accurate. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of happy to leave Christmas in December and then have a separate celebration of Easter, you know, at Easter time. Does that make sense? It makes very much, <laughs> quite a bit of sense. Thinking about Christmas and Easter both being in at the same point, it does bring a nice sort of symmetry to the the narrative at the same point rather than being different times it's i don't know it feels a little bit more powerful yeah. that way that, no, that's right and, and you know it means that jesus would have been crucified around the time of his birthday yeah. um you know maybe even on his birthday but you know around that time it does makes it more it does make it more powerful i agree well thank you very much i appreciate your time i don't want to take up much more very good to talk to you craig that's a great pleasure and the stranger spoke said do not fear I come from a planet a long way from here and I bring a message for mankind to hear suddenly the sweetest music I put a link to Professor Humphrey's article on the comment in the show notes at weirdchristmas.com, so you can see the details there if you're interested. But I just thought it was a cool idea, and I'm always amazed when people can come up with quote-unquote scientific explanations of old mythological or religious happenings. No offense to Professor Humphreys, I just like putting things in quotes. Now I know he talked about spring, not August specifically, but spring and summer, it's close. There's another guy out there, an Australian astronomer, who actually does have a summer date. His theory's different, and I hope I'll get to talk to him sometime too. But look, August sucks. I'm just trying to give it some street cred by kind of pushing it closer to other parts of the year that I actually like. And if you want to start thinking about Christmas in other ways, I've got some options. First, I'm going to run my now for real annual Weird Christmas Flash Fiction contest again. There'll be real cash prizes for the first two places and publication of a sort for 10 to 12 honorable mentions. If you're interested or know someone who is, all the info's at weirdchristmas.com. But the basic idea is that you write a 350-word story about something strange and wintry and holiday-y. The deadline's November 2nd, so there's still plenty of time. And I've already got over 100 entries so far, which is pretty cool. And if you recall, I get listeners to help me read a Christmas story every year. We've done H.P. Lovecraft and a ghost story by Algernon Blackwood. We'll do another creepy Christmas tale this year, but if you want to read part of it, send me a note on social media or email me, weirdxmas at gmail.com. Professional voices are not required, not even encouraged. I just like having all kinds of people help out. Otherwise, now that summer's almost over, the cards will start up in earnest pretty soon. And of course, please go take a look at patreon.com slash weirdchristmas. 
P-A-T-R-E-O-N. See, it's like a play on Patron, Patreon, get it, never mind. There's even a video where you can see my face, and I beg for your money, it's cool. And like I said, if you sign up, there are all kinds of other goodies you'll get, but I'll let anyone who's interested go and check out the details on their own. In the meantime, I hope you enjoyed this little surprise, and I hope you'll be ready come Thanksgiving-ish time when you'll get a lot more of them. I actually worked ahead and have like half the season's episodes done already. It's nuts. And speaking of nuts, until next time, don't let Santa stuff you in his bulging, sweaty sack. He's Mr. Sun He's Mr. Heat Blister He's Mr. 101 He's Mr. Green Christmas He's Mr. Sun Bum 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 He's Mr. Heat Blister He's Mr. 100 I never wanna